I'll let you in on a little secret. It's hard to come up with ideas for podcast episodes. So I was batting around a few ideas with my wife yesterday, and some of those will become episodes, like how to think about risk as a product manager. And then I spent some time reviewing my notes in Evernote, where I have a tag for podcast topics, and I came across this article I wrote a few years back, 10 Writing Tips for Product Managers. Wow, I thought, that'll be easy. I'll just read out the tips, share a little story about each one, and that'll be easy peasy. But as I was starting to flesh out this idea in the car on the way to work today, I got stuck on the first tip. It's such a big topic and so important for all the things we do as product managers. The tip in the article is a simple rule about writing. It's about them, that is, the target audience for your writing, not you. Use their language, not your language. And as I was starting to talk about it, I realized it goes far beyond language and far beyond just writing. I've said other times, put yourself in your audience's shoes. And this applies whether your audience is reading your work or seeing it or if you're presenting it. But what does putting yourself in your audience's shoes really mean? How do you do it? Well, you have to ask yourself a set of questions. And we'll get to those right after this. Hi, this is Nels Davis, and you're listening to All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. In this podcast, we answer the questions I and others have about the realities of product management, product marketing, going to market, and critical skills for business success like persuasion and influence. I've been doing it for 25 years, and I've learned a few things, and I love sharing what I've learned. My goal for this podcast is to give you the best mental models, tools, techniques, and secrets for creating value in the world and delivering solutions to problems that need solving. This is episode number 328, and as always, you can find all the links I mentioned in the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 328. Now, even though that other product management podcast might use the phrase, writing is product management, I would actually say it opposite of this. Product management is primarily about good communication. Now, our communication goes both ways, but it's always up to us, the product managers, to make sure it's going well. What do I mean it goes both ways? Well, the most important thing we do is find market problems, and that means discovery, and that means getting the market to communicate with us. And we use our communication skills to get them to tell us what's really going on. That's the topic of a few other podcasts I have, including a couple that are, I have two podcasts that are called How to Get Out of the Building and Talk to Your Customers, but they're all about getting started with customer discovery. I'll link to those other episodes in the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 328. But of course, the other big part of our job is communicating outward to all the audiences, sales, customers, the dev team, execs. We have a ton of audiences. And this communication has two components. One component is information, giving people information about what we're working on, what we want them to work on, what we're delivering now, what we want them to sell, why we think we should work on it, and so on. But the other component, and it's a little bit implicit in the list I just gave, is persuasion and influence helping people realize that the thing we're asking them to do or buy or to invest their time or money or interest in is the right thing to do. Now, obviously, these two components are overlapping. And in fact, the information that we put out is mostly useless unless it's accompanied by persuasion. So why did I talk about putting yourself in the audience's shoes in the opening? Well, because that's one of the fundamental keys to persuasion and influence. People are more receptive to your message or request or pitch if they believe you have their interests at heart, if they feel understood, 
if the communication is about them and what they need or want or desire, and they're less receptive if the communication is about us or about you or rather than them. So how do you do this? Well, one way is to ask yourself a bunch of questions on behalf of your audience. Now, of course, this is before you ever get to the audience, so you have to put yourself in their shoes. That's why you do this. And you're going to ask yourself questions like, what do they want? What problem do they need solved? What are they afraid of? What questions would they have if they thought of questions? This is an important one because you're getting at what their subconscious mind is thinking about. Even if they aren't consciously aware of questions, their subconscious mind may have some questions. Similar to that is what are the risks from their perspective? Again, their subconscious mind may perceive risks in what you're communicating. And if you don't deal with the subconscious mind, those risks are going to bother them a lot. So let me illustrate all of this with a few examples. So let's think, first of all, about a new feature that we're about to release to the market. Now, one of the things you do when you're releasing a new feature is you go talk to the customer support team about the feature so they know it's coming. Now, how do you tell the customer support team about a new feature? Well, unfortunately, a lot of people just go and say, here's feature X. It does A, B, and C. That's information. But it doesn't really have a persuasion component. So I've already said that we need to think about persuasion and influence. Why do we need to use persuasion in this case for customer support? Well, there's a few reasons. First, I want the customer support team to be excited. A few of them might get excited just from the dry description if they've dealt recently with a customer for whom this feature is a winner, but most won't make that connection, and it's not their job to do so, and I'm certainly not going to allow that to just happen. I'm going to make sure it happens. Second, if I make them excited about a new feature because it's helping their customers, that means they're going to feel great about the team that delivered this new feature. And that's good for me because the more they like me and my team, the more likely they are to share the type of information that I can use to make the product even better, to make customers more successful, to share with sales and marketing to help them do a better job. In general, if customer support likes me and is sharing with me, that's really good for everybody. So I'm going to pitch this feature something along these lines. Customers have been experiencing frustration due to X, which means you have been experiencing frustration because you haven't had a good solution for them. Now we're delivering a feature to solve X. Let me show you how this works. When a customer has problem X, they can do A, B, and C. Now for most customers, at least 80%, this feature will solve X for them. Oh, now did your ears perk up a little bit? What about the other 20% of customers? If I just leave that hanging, the customer support people are going to end up feeling like they don't trust me. This is all happening subconsciously, but they're going to kind of think, well, maybe I'm a liar. Because that seems like a risk, at least to the subconscious, and subconsciouses don't like risks. So I have to make sure that I address that remaining 20% of customers in my communication. So I'm going to say something along these lines. For the remaining 20% of customers facing problem X, this feature will go partway to fixing their challenge, but you will have to give them some additional workarounds and manual processes that they'll need to use, and I have some write-ups you can use to help them through that. And so now the customer support people are thinking their subconscious has changed direction again. This is all happening subconsciously. That, oh, this guy isn't that bad. He's taking care of me and our customer. I trust him now. So I did what is called pre-handling objections. I have done whole podcasts on this technique, and there's a link in the show notes, again, at alltheresponsibility.com slash 328. It's one of the most important techniques for persuasion. 
Now, how did I know what to say in that situation? Well, again, I thought about putting myself in the customer support person's shoes. What makes them happy? Customers don't have problems with the software. What makes them unhappy? Customers can't do something that they should be able to do with the software. What are they afraid of? What questions would they have if they thought of questions? In other words, what is their subconscious saying to them? And what are the risks from their perspective? I answered all those questions. By putting myself in their shoes, I've been able to present a new feature to them in a way that makes them excited, that makes them trust me and my team more, and which they will be sure to mention to their customers, perhaps even reaching out proactively to customers who are having that problem so they can share the good news. I've made them, in addition to everything else, the bearers of good news for our customers. So that's a win all around. Now let's turn back the clock a little bit to when I was pitching this new feature to the dev team. So as you might imagine, I didn't say, you need to make feature X that will do A, B, and C. That's information and it's very directive. Instead I said, let me tell you about a problem that some of our customers are experiencing. They're very frustrated with our product because they can't do X. Luckily at the moment, most of our competitors can't do X either but a few have their first solutions out in the market. When customers can't do X, they get frustrated, and often they call into customer support, and of course they are very frustrated that they can't help the customers out. So I'm going to take a look at this conversation from a slightly different angle from the previous conversation with customer support. Basically, I want my team to step up to building a great solution for this problem. One of the ways I get better solutions from my team is to motivate them well. And what motivates developers? Well, it goes back to what Dan Pink talks about in his book, Drive, which he calls Motivation 2.0. And like most humans, developers are motivated by being able to apply their skills to solve meaningful problems in the way they think is best. That is, they want to use their mastery of solving problems by writing software, in the case of my teams, in the service of a meaningful purpose, which is addressing our customers' need to do X, with a lot of control or autonomy over how they create the solution. Now, this concept of mastery, autonomy, and purpose is key to motivation, especially of what are called knowledge workers, like software developers and product managers and customer support people. So going back to what I asked them to do, I told them about a significant problem that customers have. That established a purpose. And the fact that some competitors have a solution, but we have an opportunity to take the lead, well, that also gives purpose. Most people take pride in beating the competition, even software developers, and it contributes to the purpose component of motivation. Then I asked for a solution to the problem. I didn't give them a solution to build because I recognized their autonomy and mastery. Now, of course, this is just one little bit of a conversation that's ongoing between me and the team. I have some level of mastery as well, typically applied in the areas of understanding the boundaries and constraints of a feature. But the whole thing is a conversation. Now, I've created a requirement template that I call the valuable template. And I have a podcast about that, a podcast episode, which I'll put in the show notes and an article that essentially tries to capture all this stuff to create a very meaningful write-up that will help the developers be very motivated to create a great solution. So you can read about that or listen to that podcast episode. Now, these have all been good news examples, right? talking about a great new feature and how we communicate it and answer questions, let's change tack a little bit. Let's talk about a situation where we have to deliver bad news. For example, sometimes this happens. I have to tell the execs that a feature we expected to deliver in this quarter will be delayed to next quarter. Now, I do have a bit of a personal goal here not to lose my job, and I want to put my team in the best possible light, 
but I have other goals as well, and these are related to the audience, not to me. What does this mean for the business? I want to make sure that the executives feel like things are under control. Are there sales implications? What does it say about our ability to, pri to prioritize? So in my presentation to the executives, I'm going to talk about those things. I know the sales executives, for example, are going to be worried about customers who were expecting this feature this quarter. I'm not going to avoid that question. I'm going to have an answer. Maybe I'll commit to meeting with any customer who is counting on the feature this quarter and work to subdue their fears. Now, hopefully I'll have answers and we'll give them for all the other questions the execs have, even if they don't ask them. So it's not as much fun a conversation, but it's often really necessary, and it will go better if you think about the needs of the audience and address those needs in your communication. You may still get fired, but probably not. So that's what it means to put yourself in your audience's shoes. You understand what they are concerned about, and your communication is about those things. You understand what will cause them to worry or perceive risk, and you address those up front. You pre-handle objections, and you figure out what the objections will be by asking yourself those questions. Questions like, what makes them happy? What makes them unhappy? What are they afraid of? What questions would they have if they thought of questions? What are the risks from their perspective? Now, you can use these questions when you're preparing a presentation, when you're writing an article, or anytime you're trying to communicate with people. Now, in the show notes, you will find a few links to some related articles and books, as I mentioned, including an article listing those 10 tips for writing, most of which in turn link to other articles with more details. So getting back to the writing tips, I may still do a podcast episode on the writing tips as a whole. I will also link to my set of articles on persuasion for product managers where I talk about pre-handling objections and other key things. The skills in those articles directly apply to making your writing and other communication more effective and persuasive. They also directly apply to go-to-market, all kinds of things, pretty much everything we do as product managers persuasion and influence are a big part of that. Now, all those links, again, are at alltheresponsibility.com slash 328. If you have questions you'd like me to answer on this podcast, I'd love to hear them. Feel free to leave a comment in the show notes or drop me an email at nils at nilsdavis.com, and hopefully we'll have a podcast episode about your question. This has been episode 328 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, and until the next episode, this is Nils Davis. Bye-bye. Thank you.